Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine and I will share with you their stories, their expertise and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Dr. Eric Zielinski. Eric has become one of the leading speakers and authors in the therapeutic properties of essential oils. And today we dive into the research and the many ways these oils can potentially benefit health and well-being. So without further ado, Eric, welcome to the show. Ben, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, you know, the more that I do this, the more I appreciate the ability to communicate across the pond through the internet. And so we we see things differently or cultures approach things like essential oils differently. And I know folks in the UK and in Europe ha- have a unique approach to aromatherapy, quite frankly, much different than in America and even much different than in Australia and other countries. So we can maybe talk about that, but it's an honor to share this with, with your community. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I would love to dive into those things. I actually came across you, your work originally on different summits and you talking about the medicinal properties of essential oils. And I have to admit, I didn't follow follow through um, you know, years ago, as I sh- probably should have done. So it is great to finally speak to you and lo- learn more <clears throat> about this truly fascinating topic. First of all, I just I imagine some people might be might find this topic very unusual and you alluded to it a little bit before and they might think it's quite woo-woo. How can a smell from an oil have health benefits? But there's actually so much more to essential oils than people might realize, right? Uh, when was the first time you realized that essential oils could have a medicinal benefit? Well, for me, it happened when I was required for a project. It was actually my job. I was a medical writer for hire, essentially. Mm -hmm. And one of my clients commissioned me to write a series of public health reports on essential oils. So it it was literally my job to read hundreds of clinical trials, peer-reviewed PubMed index from all across the globe, the research trials substantiating the therapeutic efficacy of using those volatile organic compounds, whether extracted individually like um, limonene, menthol Mm -hmm. or camphor as as an individual component or collectively in oils that we know as um, like orange oil or peppermint and seeing how these oils had a therapeutic effect and on balancing blood sugar, balancing blood pressure, helping reduce stress, anxiety, mood boosting, depression, even things like soothing inflammation and helping people with chronic disease and conditions, which is the focal point of my upcoming book, The Essential Oils Apothecary. So that really was my, my, my own conversion story. And I call it like, it it was kind of like a conversion. I was blind. Then I could see, like, I, I marginalized essential oils being a man. I marginalized essential (laughs) oils as smelly stuff that my wife used. And I loved how, and I still do. My wife smells beautiful. It's provocative. It's evocative. And she doesn't use those colognes or perfumes that have that toxic overload in them. So my, my body really responds well to the aromatherapy that she wears. But I kind of jest because like we were talking before we aired, you know, um, I'm athletic, I'm not a competitive athlete, but I like to, you know, do 5Ks with my kids and race and I play beach volleyball with my friends every week. Like I'm not going to go play beach volleyball or basketball or, or, or football wearing Elang Lang 
you know, my, my, my guy friends will take my guy card away from me. Like, like that was my thought. It was like, well, I can't be walking around as a man smelling like flowers. Like I to be very real. And I've heard many men tell me the same thing. Well, when I started looking at the research, I'm like, well, this is a lot more than just the inhalation of essential oils. And that's what I want to maybe preface and correct our thinking here. Mm-hmm. Essential oils, Thanks. essential oils can be used in a variety of ways. Primarily people think, and traditionally from the beginning of time, from our ancestors burning leaves and roots and trees and things as incense, that's inhalation of essential oils. But then when our ancestors started to experiment with, with other oils like olive oil and other carrier oils that they had, like coconut oil and those things, and they started putting herbs into them, they actually made herbal extracts, which essentially extracted out the essential oil. Perfect example is the story in um, what we know as the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, where God told Moses, get this big old vat of olive oil, put some myrrh, calamus, and cinnamon, and aloe, and let it just soak for a while. Like that was an herbal extract. That was an antimicrobial herbal extract. And that uh, olive oil, what it does is it, it, it just sit, through simple diffusion, the essential oil gets extracted out of it. And you get this nice, med- lightly medicinal, therapeutic, aromatic experience through this herbal extract. Mm. Um, well, fast forward to where we're at today, we know much more about essential oils. Not only can you inhale them and put them topically on your body, but you can ingest them. And that's where the medicinal aspect really comes into play, but it needs to be done properly. Just like how you're not going to go to the pharmacy and get a sleep medication over the counter and just take a handful because you think that's the right number. You're going to look at the instructions. You're going to look at the label and be like, okay, how many pills per dose? The same thing with essential oils. And I could go on and on and on, but one thing I'd like to share with people who wonder like me, who maybe might be skeptical is the reality of what we see today. Every pharmaceutical on the planet today has a basis in plant-based chemistry. It's not like a chemist or a pharmaceutical company has a dream one day and wakes up and invents a chemical structure in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, the best example is aspirin and aspirin when you go back to how our ancestors used willow bark, which has a, a chemical in the methyl salicylate family, which is analgesic pain relieving, our ancestors used to make salves and potions and lotions all from wind, all from willow bark. Well, when you extract that chemical from the plant, you can mimic the chemical structure in a lab. Well, you manufacture it synthetically and you put a white shiny coating on it. You call it aspirin. And so that's what we see with menthol, pinene, um, other sesquiterpenes and terpenes that are in the essential oil. So all that to say is that the basis for modern medicine and virtually every drug on the planet, again, has the basis of the chemical structure that we see in plants. And what are those chemical structures in plants? The essential oil. So this goes way beyond what most people think of as quote unquote aromatherapy Mm -hmm. has goes way beyond, but not to discount and maybe dilute the, uh, the efficacy of inhalation Mm -hmm. because the power of the olfactory system stimulating your brain directly impulse through your olfactory system to the, 
to the limbic system where your mood, your memory, your emotions, your autonomic function, your heart rate, your breathing rate, your all that. Like it's the same thing like when you smell that burning fire and then your alarm or your alarm in your home goes off, the smoke alarm, like your heart races, like that, that's the smell. That's a toxin in the air that says, hey, get out of here. There's something wrong. But it starts with rapid heart rate, rapid breathing rate. It's the same thing when you inhale a, a lavender essential oil. It, it puts you immediately into that parasympathetic mode. Your heart rate goes down. Your breathing rate goes down. Your blood pressure goes down. Like this is real stuff. So anyway, I could go more into the history of the, the, the stuff and, and I don't want to come across as an aromatherapy apologist, right? <laughs> I'm not like an, a, a, an essential oil evangelist, but what I want to press upon people is if used properly, and we've seen tens of thousands of people, like again, we have millions of people visit our websites every year, but we, we've gotten tens of thousands, literally of testimonials of reports of people sharing how essential oils have helped them overcome chronic disease and conditions. Absolutely fascinating. And it would be good if we could start with the olfactory system, because just to give a, a, a personal anecdote, I certainly diffuse essential oils periodically, as well as put them in my bath water and that smell whether it be lavender or ylang-ylang, are two common ones that I normally use, seems to be very calming systemically. Um, and you've mentioned the effect on the brain. So what is it actually doing? And can we mimic this with other compounds too? Yeah, so, so the interesting thing about the neural pathways is every sensory input has to be interpreted by the brain before there's an output. So for example when you are walking in the middle of the night and you're groggy and you have to go to the, you know, the washroom or the restroom and you stub your toe accidentally, right? It from the moment that you stub your toe or hit your foot against the corner of the wall or whatever it might be to the fact that you actually sense pain, there's a little bit of delay, right? And you see this in children and I have five children and I've seen this, like my, we have a, a brand new baby, baby Ezekiel, seven months and baby Ezekiel just did Congratulations. something. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> I mean, you. A bit belated now, but still. Yes. Well, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen this neurological interpretation in real life with my baby. And again, just for people you you might cut yourself when you are, you know, shaving and, but there's that split second of a delay before you actually feel pain. Well, with children, that's much more delayed. And people that have kids, you know what I mean? It's like they hurt themselves and literally three or four or five seconds later, they start crying because their neural pathways are developing and it's slower. Why does that happen? Because they're in the thalamus of your brain. You, you're, the, the pain sin signal, the sensory input needs to be interpreted. And then you need to be able to determine what to do. Why am I mentioning this? Well, with olfaction, your sense of smell. This is your primal first sense that's developed in utero. Your limbic system where it is interpreted is your primal brain. And this is really what connects us with the primates at the core of who we are as, as mammals. So when you smell something, there is no thalamic relay. And this is really important. So when you smell something, the impulse immediately, immediately impacts the brain. And so the brain will then sense, okay, this is what I do. And, and that's why, not to be too crude, but that's why cocaine addicts get a quicker high than someone who's 
you know, injecting heroin. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just the olfaction aspect of it. So when you're there, your nose is lined with a nasal mucosa with millions and millions of nerve impulses that, that, that again, stimulate through the, the sense of cell smell, your olfactory system and how it works at the mechanism at the neurological mechanism is very similar to how, um, um, a benzodiazepine or a Prozac or any sort of mind altering drug works mm-hmm. is that it produces neurological impulses, which will then stimulate hormone secretion, neurotransmitter secretion, and the like endorphins. And I mean, this is brain chemistry at its at, at just by simply inhaling. So what you're experiencing is when you inhale lavender or elanglang, which are both proven to be rich in plant-based chemicals like linalool or linalool acetate, which can then be extracted synthetically and be a compound, part of a compound of a drug, by the way. But when you're taking these oils and using them in its natural form, the brain, and for whatever reason, right? It's just the, the wisdom and the mystery of God, why things work the way that they do. And it's wonderful, but automatically your brain starts to produce certain hormones. It starts to be stimulated. It stimulates the parasympathetic system. And you find yourself at a, at a, at a lesser stressful place at a, at a place where there's less anxiety. It's, it's some where people like me who have been using essential oils who live a detoxed, healthy life with my food and my exercise. And see, for me, it's all about everything. You can't live a fast food lifestyle and expect essential oils to work. That would be like taking one step forward, but really two steps back. So I have found that people who are really receptive to natural therapies, they get, they get a very profound effect. And even those people that are dealing with toxic overload, and we see that because of the chemicals in the food or the pharmaceuticals that they take, their, their, their toxic bucket, so to speak, is overflowing. And, and leading oncologists are claim that's really the cause of cancer. And so we're kind of flipping this around where, where instead of inhaling those synthetic fragrances that are always in the air and we're putting on our skin with our soaps and lotions and sanitizers, when you're using something that's natural, completely natural, based from what we see in plants, the body has receptors where they know what to do. And, and this, I don't get too technical of it, but you know, when it comes to the lock and key mechanism of neuroreceptors and mechanoreceptors that really stimulate nerve impulses and the, the secretion of hormones, mm-hmm. the problem with synthetic chemicals, and this is why drugs will always have a side effect to them because it's like you taking a drug is synonymous to putting a key into a lock, but it's missing a tooth. So yeah, the key can get in the lock, but it really can't truly open up the door in a way where you might have to jar it a little bit, or it's like a broken key. Uh, that's this lock and key mechanism that we see allowing things in the cell out of the cell. What, but in nature, nature has the proper key that God designed the body to interact with. So that's why you see people using supplements, eating food and taking essential oils, and they don't experience side effects ever. And that's what I want to press upon people. If used properly, eating the right foods, taking supplements that are pure and using pure essential oils will never give you an adverse reaction if you use them properly. Mm -hmm. 
but no drug on the planet can boast that. And, and again, why? It's just because of how we were designed and we were quite frankly designed and we've evolved over all these years to have true symbiosis with nature. Awesome. Absolutely fascinating. And just, I just want to pick up on one of the points that you mentioned there as well. When you say about using them properly, I think uh, it's important to emphasize that you can't use all essential oils in their concentrated form. I mean, everyone's heard, I say everyone, I think a lot of people have heard about a horror story about someone using a concentrated oil of oregano or oregano, as we say in the UK. Yeah, you know, that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that it's ironic, so to speak, because before, well, right around the same time, right around the same time I was doing my research and I was writing my reports for uh, my client, you know, seven years ago, mm-hmm. I, I was experimenting with essential oils. Cause again, I was like, wow, oregano, oregano, as you say, <laughs> and proven, proven antibacterial agent. I mean, shown to kill MRSA, which is an antibacterial, uh, antibacterial resistant bacteria. So, I mean, antibiotics don't work, antibiotic resistance. So that's, that's something to consider when you're looking at essential oils that can have a profound antifungal and even antiviral effect. And we know that acne is caused by a bacteria overgrowth on the skin. Mm -hmm. So when I developed a couple pimples on my skin several years ago, you know, I did my little research. I'm like, oh yeah, oregano can help. Right. So what I did was I just put a a drop of oregano right on my skin because that was the recommendation that I saw online and it immediately burned and it actually caused a quarter size round, you know, coin size circle on my face, which caused more eruptions, more little pimples. And I was like, this stuff is, is, like the, this isn't what I expected. No, I, <laughs> I was expecting a desired reaction. And then I realized, oh, I needed to dilute it to a 1% dilution, like which is basically one drop of essential oil and in like a teaspoon of, or whatever, maybe a half an ounce of carrier oil. Like, okay. So to your point, yes, certain oils are extremely caustic. They could burn. They're much more potent when it comes to their antimicrobial effects. Mm-hmm. And there are oils that are much safer, like Roman chamomile and lavender. Um, many aromatherapists recommend that they could be used straight or undiluted. I always recommend diluting them for a couple of reasons. Actually, you're saving money. And one thing about essential oils we haven't discussed is what are they really? I mean, they are volatile organic compounds. Mm-hmm. Volatile meaning they readily evaporate. Organic meaning they're carbon-based and compound meaning there are many chemicals, many constituents to make it up. So when you're seeing and looking at a bottle of essential oil, whether it's, you know, five milliliter or 15 milliliter, whatever little bottle, you're looking at a hundred to 300 different plant-based chemicals. It's just a cornucopia. So that's where volatile organic compound come from, which is also why if you were to drop an essential oil on the floor 20 feet away from you and then walk on the other side of your living room or kitchen, you will smell that. Why? Because the particles are being emitted and evaporating out. So when you put an essential oil on your skin, if you don't use a carrier oil, you're getting more off gassing. You're literally wasting your money. So using a carrier oil like olive oil or jojoba, sweet almond, whatever it might be, any kitchen oil that you cook with actually works great too. 
Um, it actually helps encapsulate the essential oil and prevents off-gassing, opens up the pores so the oils will actually penetrate into your bloodstream. And they're transdermal. See, they're lipophilic, hydrophobic, they're fat-loving, water-hating compounds. Um, they're not essential, nor are they oils. I mean, really, they're not essential for life, <laughs> and nor are they oil. They're not going to leave an oil residue. And the reason they're called essential oils is because they've been known and they were thought of and seen as the very essence of of flavor and aroma. They're known as the very essence of flavor and aroma. And because they um, are transdermal and, and they, they dissolve so readily well in fatty carrier oils like olive oil, that's where the name essential oils came from. So all that to say is research has shown when you apply an essential oil diluted onto your skin, the chemicals in the oil will be detected in your bloodstream within minutes. So that's how you get this systemic effect. That's how it helps with inflammation. That's why in our book, we're talking about fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Essential oils can do wonders for people. And then when we're targeting other, other more serious conditions like Alzheimer's, which is basically neurological brain inflammation, we see the same thing where essential oils can really help people um, mitigate a lot of not only risk factors associated with developing Alzheimer's, but the symptoms once someone gets that. If someone gets, if someone really starts to develop dementia or Alzheimer's, essential oils can help stimulate memory, mood, emotion. And even if it's just helping an Alzheimer's patient be less aggressive, which is a, a primary concern for caretakers, um, a lot of folks when as they age and they, their, their, their brain becomes so inflamed and damaged, it, the essential oil can help reduce that aggression. Um, that is a hallmark of Alzheimer's. That's absolutely fascinating. And it's incredibly interesting to hear you speak about this because it seems like each oil has a specific function and a specific purpose. And they're essentially like functional tools. Um, and in your new book, The Essential Oils Apothecary, you suggest that essential oils can be used to help with almost any chronic health condition. Now, you just mentioned Alzheimer's disease and calming that, that kind of um, agitation and aggression. What kind of oils would you use in that instance? And what would be the delivery mechanism or the, the method of delivery? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, to, to clarify what you mentioned is there, there is a slogan in America and, you know, other places where there are multi-level marketing companies. So I'm, I'm assuming, and I know there is, I know that there are multi-level marketing companies that sell essential oils where you live in the UK and Australia, mm -hmm. and quite frankly, all around the world. And there's a slogan in this world, in this industry that says there's an oil for that. Right. It's, it's cute. There's it's on your mugs. It's on your t-shirts. They have pens. And, and what I want to caution is the danger of looking at an essential oil in the same way, like a doctor looks at an antibiotic as the first approach to basically every sniffle or cough. Mm -hmm. And because the reality is what I'm positing, what I'm proposing, according to the research is that essential oils can help you one way or another, whether it's addressing the root cause of a condition, which is primarily when it comes to chronic disease, it's inflammation. And we know that essential oils are inherently anti-inflammatory. They're rich in antioxidants. And this is something that for the, like, again, how does this work? You cannot find any food or supplement in the world that can compare on any level to the antioxidant quality and content of an essential oil. And why? Because it's pure concentration. 
So when you when you pick up your bottle of lavender, and let's just maybe hang out with lavender because that's the oil to answer your question about mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and but others. But when you're picking up your bottle of lavender, if it's a 15 milliliter bottle, you're literally holding in your hands three pounds of lavender flowers. Wow. That's okay. hard to conceptualize. I mean, three pounds. So again, they're natural, but they're really not in that you're not going to find lavender oil in a lavender field. You have to extract them through steam distillation or other CO2 mechanisms. So you're looking at something you cannot find anywhere else on the planet. And same thing with supplements. You're not going to find any dehydrated herb or spice because they're great. They're wonderful, but nothing is as concentrated. So when you're looking at the therapeutic efficacy, that's why. And so when you're looking at no joke, when you're looking at the ORAC value, the antioxidant value of foods and, and, and supplements, um, clove oil has been reported to have a million ORAC points mm. to compare wild blueberries, which we know are wonderfully healthy, great with uh, great anti-inflammatory, has wonderful um, antioxidant quality. But we're looking at roughly between like five to 10,000 ORAC points in blueberries. Mm. I'm talking a million. So you can't even compare you can't even compare. So that really at the end of the day is what I'm proposing to people is like, look, there are things that you could do and, and primarily is symptom-based management. So going back to Alzheimer's and dementia, one thing that comes up a lot, and I actually cover this in other chapters of the book is aromatherapy hand massage, which by the way, has been one of the most heartbreaking situations and, and scenarios to, to witness during this pandemic is the isolation of the elderly, primarily people with literally no physical contact and people in some countries that are in forced quarantine where they have zero contact with people. And I know we talked about this a little bit before the show, but, but what I'm asking people to do is, you know, we need physical contact with people as long as it's safe. as long as you are in a position where you feel comfortable. Um, But even more importantly than that, is social interaction with people. And this concept of social distancing has really needs to be corrected. And we need to look at it not as social distancing, but physical distancing. Um, We need that social interaction with people. And so when we, again, just it's, it might seem like it's a play on words, but the fact that we've been told by government agencies and health institutions to quote socially distance has programmed the seven and a half, whatever billion people on the planet to stay away from people, period, and isolate themselves. Well, to an extent, right? But you could still interact with people, even it's like talking across the street to your neighbor, or, you know, I'll never forget this b- beautiful scene in Italy. I saw a picture of neighbors just yelling at each other through their windows in apartment <laughs> complexes, whatever yeah. you got to do to maintain that social interaction. But if, but we're fine that for Alzheimer's patients, specifically in nursing homes, they're extremely isolated and with this pandemic, even more so. And so when research suggests that aromatherapy hand massage is the best way of helping reduce aggression, help sleep and chronic pain, it makes all the sense in the world because not only do they get the essential oils into the bloodstream and the chemicals that really help calm and we again, very simply put, they stimulate the parasympathetic system, the rest and digest, the healing system of the body automatically takes the edge off, automatically reduces stress and anxiety, boost mood. But they're getting the physical touch aspect, which that in and of itself 
And it, you know, giving someone a hand massage is much more socially acceptable than hugging someone or any other interaction. So, I mean, think of it like anyone, you know, before the pandemic, we used to shake hands all the time. Mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, giving a friend and you can even do this to yourself if you literally are alone. Um, you can even give yourself a little hand rub. And I know it's not the same as it would be having someone else, but it, it, it's second best. And just having that stimulation of your hand um, does a wonderful thing. But believe it or not, chronic pain, fatigue, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, they use this for cancer patients when they're going through chemo to help a lot of the symptoms related to chemo. This is a great adjunct. Sorry to jump in there. What kind of symptoms would would that be helping with? Stress, anxiety, sleep, pain, anxiousness, aggression. Right. Because I read a paper... Um, relatively recently, just in preparations for this, and it was looking at ylang-ylang and lavender, I believe, and it was looking at serum cortisol levels and even just the inhalation of both yep. of these. Com- yeah, stress. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, It reduces adrenal fatigue. It helps. I mean, again, because it, it stimulates the parasympathetic system. It gets you out of that sympathetic fight or flight, causes the adrenals to stop overproducing cortisol. Again, there's a lot of mechanisms here. Like this is this is basic anatomy physiology. It's basic endocrinology. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of what do you want to do? Do you want to take a benzodiazepine? Do you want to take a Prozac? Or would you rather take something that has, quite frankly, almost as equal of a potency. And that's the other thing. Research has suggested that part to par, one-to-one essential oils have up to the same effect on many occasions as many pharmaceutical drugs, but with zero side effects if you use them properly. Like, wow. So I'm not saying, I mean, oh, I am saying this. I am saying that when it comes to bergamot essential oil, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, your morning bre- bre- breakfast tea across the pond. I love that, by the way. Um, <laughs> Earl Grey, the oil of bergamot is a wonderful um, anxiolytic, anti-anxiety solution. And it could help people literally stop a panic attack in its tracks, but help people that are dealing with, and who hasn't been, and who isn't dealing with anxiety right now. And the problem is chronic anxiety has riddled our society to cause overwhelm and burden overload. Like here we are, you know, whenever the, this gets aired, but you know, here we are in, in very well, a year plus into this a year and a half, almost two years into this, this craziness that we've been going through this health crisis, people have been on constant, constantly living on a knife, uh, on the edge of a knife, essentially. And it's like anything can tip someone over. It's this, every day is world shaking global news, you know, impending, like right now, currently in the United States, we're dealing with gas shortages, a migration crisis, a potential war in the Middle East, like the pandemic's never ending. How do you manage this emotionally? Mm. Well, you can't, by processing this a logical way, like you need to put yourself in a position where you are not internalizing a lot of these things. And if you can, and if you're struggling with meditating through it, processing it intellectually, like most people are, like how, again, you intellectually process all that's happening, you could start to trigger that, that neurological sequence in your brain to produce certain hormones and neurotransmitters to reduce anxiety. So that's why I've, I've been, I've been a, I've been a, a citrus essential oil junkie since this <laughs> thing started, because again, in my chapter that I talk about depression and addiction, we talk yeah. about substance abuse, which is much more prevalent now than it's ever been. We see how essential oils not only curb your, your addiction cascade, which it does, 
like black pepper, by the way, proven to help reduce the symptoms related to nicotine cessation. Mm, and there's yeah. the same thing, whether it's sugar, whether it's cocaine, whether it's whatever you might be addicted to, sex, I don't know, alcohol. The addiction cascade is the addiction cascade. If you can do something to reduce that detox, reduce that withdrawal symptom, that could help you get through this moment, get through this day so you don't go back to something you know that's hurting you. But also the essential oils in the citrus family over and over and over again, helping not only, again, we say boost mood, but we're talking, it could literally get you out of that funk, get you out of that hopelessness. And, and I say hopelessness because there was one study evaluating two groups of people with um, de determining the efficacy of orange and vanilla blend versus no essential oil. And what they did was they took these people and they separated them and they had them solve or try to solve an unsolvable problem to create hopelessness. Basically what they did was they, and how ironic it is, what it was three, four years ago, they asked these people to solve social injustice. Essentially, hey, you 15 people solve racism in the next 15 minutes. Well, yeah, you're not going to do that. Yeah. And so what it did was that caused hopelessness. It caused, well, this is impossible. It caused frustration. And for the people that were in the sterile clinical environment with nothing else but that task with each other and a pencil paper or you know, paper and pencil, they did not enjoy the experience. It was, you know, very somewhat depressing for them and it caused hopelessness and helplessness. Well, the other group, even though they also couldn't solve the problem, because who can, what happened? was because they were enjoying the aromatherapy in the air of orange and vanilla essential oil, they reported enjoying the experience much greater. They reported less hopelessness, less helplessness. And if you've ever wondered what makes those crazy half full people always see the silver lining in the cloud, like they are literally wired differently and we can wire our brain that way. And one way of doing it is biohacking through essential oil. And maybe, you know, it's the same thing. If you were to get an orange, cut it in half and just smell the rind. Mm -hmm. Like that will, I will guarantee you that will make you feel a little better. Same thing with a lemon, same thing with a lime or a grapefruit. That's where the oil is encapsulated in the rind. So that's why when you're cutting your limes and lemons and oranges and grapefruits for your culinary delights, you, and you have that nice, happy smell. Well, that's the essential oil. And so again, clinically proven to reduce hopelessness and helplessness. Like who couldn't benefit from that right now in 2021? I mean, this is clinical research on humans. This isn't cells in a Petri dish in vitro stuff. So this is my argument is that, yes, if you need it and if nothing else works, for sure, go to the pharmacy and see what the doctor can do. Because I would much rather have someone take an, a benzodiazepine or uh, a Prozac than take their life. I mean, really, I'd rather you do whatever you got to do to stay alive. But the reality is I would much prefer people to try first a natural solution because they're not a, um, habit forming. Yep. They are designed to help you truly heal. So you'll never need them. And that's the other thing too, y'all. I'm not preaching that you stay on an essential oil for the rest of your life. Like the remedies that the research suggests brings root cause resolution. So you're not going to have to take cinnamon bark every day to keep your blood glucose balanced. I mean, that's the point is not to be a slave to an essential oil. Like people are a slave to a drug forever. Because once you start on the drug path with chronic disease, you're on it for the rest of your life. And once you start one chronic disease track, your likelihood of developing another is infinite. Like diabetes doesn't end with yeah, diabetes. It definitely. develops into obesity or cancer or autoimmunity. So that's really what we're sharing here in the book.
Yeah, that is absolutely true. And you you made a number of points there, which I want to dive a little bit deeper in. But you're absolutely right in terms of like one disease can lead to many others. The same same with autoimmune diseases. Once you set off that cascade, if you have an autoimmune disease, you're also likely to get others or more likely to get others. Um, you spoke about the the vin- vanilla and orange oil um, intervention. And I was interested just to, to see what kind of method of delivery it was because I'm, I'm really interested because we took spoken it about was inhalation the, inhalation it was in, okay yeah because yeah it's fascinating because i diffuse essential oils as well and you spoke about lemon and orange and kind of using them for culinary purposes and i get that uplifting feeling when i'm smelling those those citrus compounds um and it was just like a an aha moment when I was like, right, I, I get this. I get why this could be beneficial. And it's just, it would be interesting if we can, and, and I think you outline it in your book, although you can correct me if not, um, ways you can um, get an efficacious dose of these oils, how much is needed over what period of time to have the right effect. Yeah, so there there are a variety of of approaches that you could take. And in the book, we, we cover traditionally accepted dilutions when you're applying topically. We're using max oral dosing according to the safety texts that are available. And one of which is the essential oil safety manual by um, Robert Tisserin, who, who lives near you, mm-hmm. and other traditional text. And so, yes, there are known max oral dosing and max dermal dosing. And so when we take what the, re- and by the way, the researchers are typically very conservative. Like you'll never see a researcher ever just apply essential oils on people. They always dilute it typically to a, a one or a 5% dilution. And what's that mean? Big scheme of things like, you know, you get a carrier oil, 5% of that carrier oil, you, you know, will be an essential oil property. So it's like, again, 12 drops per a half ounce or whatever you're trying to do. So it's, it's a, a very few, in a, a very few drops of essential oil per larger carrier oil as a whole. And so, yeah, all the different recipes are suggested by research, but also tested by these aromatherapists and experts like, like Robert Tisserin. So that's where I get what I do from the books. I'm not a practicing yeah. clinician. I'm not a practicing aromatherapist. I'm a researcher. I report what the docs are saying and what the clinical um, researchers are suggesting and the scientists. And then we educate people on that. So that's really, again, the sky is the limit once you learn the basics. And again, there are rules of thumb, you know, four or five drops in a hundred milliliters or two, you know, 150 milliliters of water, depending on the size of the water tank of the diffuser. There are inhalers, there are spritzers. We cover all this stuff, compresses. I mean, there are a number of ways of using essential oils. Um, but, but the key is, is we, we focus on safety and less is usually more. So our capsule recipes, for example, when we're in showing people how to ingest them, I mean, it's typically two to four drops in a gel capsule that you then fill with olive oil or CBD. I mean, that's extremely diluted. It's in a capsule form, so it has no irritation for the esophagus or the oral cavity. And there, there's, again, no side effects to that unless there could be a known drug interaction. And that's the cool thing about what I do in my book as well. The very unique approach is we walk people through every known drug interaction. And there's nothing like that else on A, the internet or any other book that you could find for the layperson. And we extracted and actually hired a, um, aromather- um, an aromatic practitioner and a researcher to help me compile this data to 
create what is the most exhaustive drug interaction chart on the planet. And that's important because if you're going to ingest a, an immunity blend, for example, a blend typically um, including cinnamon, clove, eucalyptus, rosemary, lemon, and orange, that oil blend has been shown clinically to kill the flu virus. And so a lot of folks, companies specifically, sell a variety or a version of that blend. And they call it a number of different names, right? I'll leave you to go to your favorite supplier to find the name, but it's usually under the guise of an immune boosting blend. Well, because of clove, well, I want to be careful for people that are on blood thinners because clove is a natural blood thinner. And if you're on warfarin, this could cause internal hemorrhaging if you're going to take this oil internally. Like no one teaches you that when you're buying the oil. And so it's little things like that, like rosemary can cause hypertension. And that's where if people are hypertensive, they need to be careful about making sure they're not around too much rosemary or be cautious of their blood pressure. Um, but for people that are hypotensive, like I cover this in the heart disease chapter, rosemary can help balance the blood pressure better. So there are certain things that we need to be cognizant of, but this does take some trial and error. And it takes truthfully following the recipes and the remedies that the researchers and scientists suggest and finding what works for you. And that's what I'll end, and I'll end this with, because what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. And at a big picture, 50,000 foot view, that's common sense, right? We're different. But the reality is we haven't been taught that. And, and that's the problem with how medicine has approached everything. Everyone comes in the doctor's office with different sniffles, different coughs, and they all get the same antibiotic. I mean, that's, that's not the approach we need to take. There is not one size fits all for everything. And that's hard for people to recognize especially how everything's been handled lately. And so there is a unique approach that we need to take because my body isn't going to interact with everything the same as yours does. And that's where I'm trying to help people practice things, trial and error. And, and, and I say the word practice, um, not tongue in cheek. Like I'm, I'm, I, you know, as a doctor practices medicine or a chiropractor practices chiropractic, I'm trying to help people practice essential oils because you will find what works for you and your family with a little bit of trial and error. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like this whole pandemic has been trial and error and there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's medicine, that's science. That's like, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's find out what works. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to have is a healthy conversation in the context of the current health crisis, but also in the context of your current health crisis, because maybe you're not worried about COVID, but maybe you're just worried about the fact that you're diabetic and you're gaining weight and you've just been diagnosed with COPD. Well, that's your health crisis. How do you manage that? That's complicated, right? There is no one size fits all approach. So anyway, if you work with a healthcare professional that at the very least respects your desire to approach things naturally or use an integrative approach, that's something very special in this day and age. And there are more and more doctors who are embracing natural therapies as a natural adjunct or a complementary therapy to what they're doing. And that's where you want to be if you're interested in this topic. Because this is not an all or nothing approach. It doesn't mean, oh, I just got diagnosed with glioblastoma. I have to take frankincense oil or this chemo. No, no, no. Please no. 
this integrative approach, working with a medical professional to do whatever it is that you need to do to heal. And you'll find that you, you are going to take some medical interventions. You are going to take some essential oils. You are going to eat differently. You are going to be exercising. It's this holistic approach. Integrative medicine has been one of the greatest things that's happened to us in the 21st century that is now becoming more common knowledge and more and more physicians are being trained in this. And so I just want to leave you all with that is that the research does suggest that essential oils are a great adjunct to and complementary therapy to whatever it is that you're doing. You just need to know that you're using them the right way and safely. And that's where, again, my book will help. Hopefully your medical doctor, your physician is at the very least familiar with this stuff so they could guide or dis, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that's where the empowerment and the onus goes on us because ultimately it's not the government's job. It's, it's not my doctor's job. It's not my wife's job or my kid's job. It's my job to be healthy. I love that. Absolutely love that. I think we're very aligned with that integrative and personalized approach. And the fact that the onus should be on us to take control of our own health. I, I completely agree with you there. Completely agree. And um, I have another question from what you just said. And it was to do with the, again, I'm like diving a little bit deeper now because you mentioned cinnamon and cinnamon's really interesting. And I'm wondering, because you said the these essential oils are lipophilic, whether the transdermal effect of the, because we were talking about the blood sugar uh, lowering response to cinnamon and how it can sensitize your body to, to insulin, whether you can have the same effect by taking it transdermally rubbing it on your skin as you can with an oral capsule i'd just be interested to get your perspective and what the research says yeah yeah i mean they've, they've been shown um cinnamon bark and also there's a blend um there are there are specific blends um researchers blended um fennel and cumin and oregano and cinnamon together and they found that that blend specifically increased insulin's um help um, increase insulin um sensitivity or, or increase the sensitivity to insulin so that the, re, um, the cells would take the blood sugar out of the blood and process it properly. And that's a big deal. In, um, insulin insensitivity is a huge concern for diabetics. So if you could, that's what metformin does, essentially, it, yeah. it creates more of a sensitivity. So with that, yes, the essential oil does have a therapeutic effect on that. And we have in all I can share is anecdotal evidence that people have used especially oil of cinnamon bark um, to help with type two diabetes. Now type one diabetes, it's an autoimmune condition. Um, I, I hope and pray that someone finds a solution because that is one of those where most people end up on insulin for the rest of their lives. But even using essential oils and eat, eating a certain way, um, my, my friend, uh, Dr. Cyrus and um, his colleague, Robbie wrote a New York Times bestseller last year called Mastering Diabetes. Mm -hmm. And they cover a food nutrition approach that by the way, does include fruit. And that's their big thing. They're plant-based and they have shown that even as type two diabetics, they can have a robust health, eat all the different plants, including fruit. And so to manage it properly. So if using essential oils and if um, eating the proper foods helps you so that you do not need to inject yourself with insulin every hour, which by the way, um, happens to a lot of people, especially if they're on a pump um, they're getting constantly inundated with, with insulin. Like if your goal is not to be tied to a pinprick every single hour. If you want to, you know, help your body, you know, get to a better place, maybe that is how you use essential oils for type one diabetics. But for type two, I'll just encourage people 
completely preventable, completely treatable by lifestyle. And that's the researchers, the medical doctors, we all agree. Um, exercise, diet are key. Mind, body, again, chronic stress, anxiety, overwhelm, this will tear down your body. This will cause chronic inflammation. This can lead to everything from depression to comfort eating to just to really putting yourself in a position where your body cannot process sugar in the right way. So when you start looking at ob obesity and diabetes, because they're really one in one at this point, um, the likelihood of getting one, I mean, really, you almost can't be obese and not be diabetic. And the likelihood of being diabetic and developing obesity is so high um, currently is that when you look at this holistically and, and you start to focus on your food and you start to exercise and, and enjoy more robust, balanced mental health, um, essential oils are a great adjunct as well. So, you know, I don't know the one-for-one -one ratio because I've talked to diabetes experts about this, but from what I can conjecture, like one drop of cinnamon bark essential oil can have the same effect as up to like one tablespoon of um, cinnamon bark powder. And so we do know that cinnamon powder, cinnamon supplement has a wonderful blood balancing, um, blood sugar balancing effect on the body. Um, but that, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of powder to consume, but one drop, right? So that's where in our recipes, we recommend two to three drops in a gel capsule. Try that once or twice a day and monitor your blood glucose under the guidance of your healthcare professional and just see what happens, especially for people that are monitoring their, their sugar levels daily. And, and I know people whose children are diabetic, they have apps on the phone because there's sensors and monitors on the kids. So they know like when there's an alert, like I was with my friend yesterday and his daughter's type one diabetic and boom, her blood sugar spiked to 280 out of nowhere. And boom, he got an alert on the phone. So for people that are that queued up to their levels, you'll know. And I mean, you know, you'll know better than anybody what works and what doesn't. So try different things, you know, and again, I just named, you know, cumin and fennel, fennel, I'm sorry, it's fenugreek, I apologize, I misspoke, fenugreek, okay. oregano, mm -hmm. cinnamon, cumin, these oils, these blends, whether together or whether blended together, um, or whether alone or blended together, or even in herbal tea extract, try them and see, you know, fenugreek's a wonderful taste. And a lot of people love fenugreek tea. Um, same thing with, you know, adding, like to me, I love my you asked me what, before we started, what did I have for breakfast this morning? Yeah. I love starting my day with a matcha green tea latte, which mata is a whole form green tea from Japan, a ceremonial tea, which is extremely rich in, in um, plant-based antioxidants, like higher, you know, not as high as essential oils, but exceptionally higher than any food that you're going to find um, at the supermarket. And these, this tea is wonderful at helping reduce weight, balance blood sugar, help your body just heal. And what I do is I, I drink this tea. It doesn't give you that crazy spike of energy and crash like coffee does. Um, I drink this tea. I put a drop or two of cinnamon, a drop or two of peppermint. I mix it up with some almond or coconut milk. So it's diluted now. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, I'll put some liquid stevia in it. It's a wonderful flavor. It's a wonderful healing drink that, that has been my morning routine for um, a few years now. And so that's how I use that essential oil in a culinary purpose. And I'll leave people with this. If you're concerned about ingesting oils, my question to you, kind of tongue in cheek, so bear with me. My question to you is, what do you think flavors your Coca-Cola? What do you think flavors your favorite peppermint mint patty or your gum 
or your ice cream or anything that has the word natural or artificial flavor. It is either an essential oil, a byproduct of essential oil, or a synthetic essential oil. That's flavor out of all the essential oils manufactured on the planet. Again, all essential oils manufactured on the planet, 50% of oils manufactured in the planet are utilized by the food and flavor industry. Only a very small percent are used by people like me and you and aromatherapists and the essential oil companies. As large as these essential oil companies are, multi-billion dollar companies, another big sliver, like 25%, cleaning. That's what's in your cleaning materials. Mm -hmm. Essential oils, especially orange and the citrus oils, that's what's in your goo gong. That's what's in your cleaning products. Like they have, they're wonderful at cleaning too because they, again, that's a whole, that's, that's my first book, The Healing Power of Essential Oils. That's where I cover how to make your own products and stuff. But they're great, at not only for the aroma, but for the chemical constituency that they have to break down grime and grease and all the other things that they do. So with that said, Maybe you start with putting a drop of lime and a drop of cilantro in your guacamole. That's a great way of starting. And that's highly diluted. You know, that's a wonderful way. Or maybe it's like a drop of peppermint or, you know, maybe a drop of bergamot Add a little bit of, you know, vegan milk to that. And now that's your new, you know, morning breakfast Earl Grey tea. Add, you see, adding a drop of bergamot tea or adding a drop of bergamot oil to the, the tea itself just gives so much more of a robust, wonderful aromatic flavor but it's also healing and That's it's subtle I've, it's what I've i call it one down. yeah <laughs> yeah it's what i call a culinary dose so for people that are concerned about the medicinal dose okay you don't need to you know ingest four drops at a time but again one drop in your cup of tea mm -hmm. and especially roaming chamomile oh what a lovely way of going to bed at night you know again don't put the oil in water it has to be diluted with a carrier and typically you know, a milk. So, and I, I'm a big fan of um, vegan milks um, just because of the potential dangers and the hormones and pesticides in conventional dairy. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of conventional dairy at all, but you need to have a fatty carrier. So um, coconut cream or almond milk works wonders just a little bit, you know, a little, you know, drop a dollop with one drop of essential oil that will transform your tea forever. Perfect. I think that's a definite, a practical takeaway that people can try. Um, and like you said before, personalize it to them and what, what they enjoy, basically. Um, you you uh, got my mind whirling when you, when you talked about these volatile compounds again, because I was wondering, and cleaning products, because I'm wondering how synthetic smells, bleach, for example, how these gases can, uh, well, can these gases affect our health as well? And what are they actually doing? Yeah, they, 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 they really do. They stimulate neurological inflammation. That's why we're seeing such a rise. And they've been linked. Um, they've been linked to Alzheimer's, dementia, of course, allergies, which is kind of obvious because of the air, you know, because they're, you know, in the air, in the lungs, but COPD, but also autoimmunity and cancer. So synthetic fragrances, the body doesn't know, kind of going back to that lock and key example I explained earlier, the body does not have the proper mechanisms to digest, metabolize, and interact with these chemicals. So when you inhale synthetic fragrances, the body sees that as an airborne threat. So it stimulates immune function. It produces inflammation because inflammation is immune function. Inflammation, by the way, is good for you. 
It helps you. It heals you. But you don't want to be chronically inflamed. That's the problem. Chronic inflammation is synonymous to cutting yourself in the same spot with a, with a knife. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's a constant cut. It's a constant damage. And so the body's constantly being inflamed to heal that. So when you cut your finger accidentally, cause you're, you know, chopping potatoes while well, blood rushes there, the area swells, it gets hot. I mean, that's, that's the mechanism that is designed to heal your skin. Well, what happens when you keep on cutting yourself? I mean, you're going to significantly damage your body, but that's really what happens on the micro level. That's what chronic inflammation really is, everybody. I mean, inflammation, again, is a mechanism designed by God to help heal us of airborne threats and toxins and things. But the problem is we're being inundated by these things all day long. And so when you now add to the toxic burden, the foods that you're eating, the body care products you're putting on your skin, the, the synthetic fragrances in the air, you're in what's known as this chronic sympathetic fight or flight state. And that's really the reason why, at the core, the reason why chronic disease has risen to the state where now cancer, diabetes, heart disease, these things that really were not even an issue 100, 200 years ago, because 200 years ago, the primary cause of the disease was infection, which was a big deal because they just weren't as sanitary as we are today. They didn't know how to process water, and they didn't know basic things like you wash your hands before going into surgery. You know what I mean? Like, that was a big yeah. deal when the first surgeon figured that out. Like That was a big deal. So- the reality is, you know, chronic and um, um, acute infection like tuberculosis and things is still a main cause of dis uh, death worldwide. But in America and other industrial countries, it's not even top 10. The top 10 causes of death are, are in the next to like accidents and falls are, are chronic diseases. And, and this is new. And again, like we talked about before, it's essentially the breakdown of the body at the core, at the cellular level, which is why once you start on this chronic disease train, it's, it's never ending for most people. And then they get on more, they get on more pharmaceuticals, which causes more inflammation, which then leads to more disease. It's like, we can stop it. And ultimately I'll leave people with this, the definite, the very definition, and this is, you know, ubiquitously accepted. The very definition of chronic disease is that it starts in childhood. Or, or later adolescence. It's not like you're going to be completely healthy and then at 50 years old, wake up with cancer. It doesn't exist. It doesn't happen like that. It takes years and it's this low grade chronic inflammation. Why? Partly because of the synthetic fragrances, the synthetic chemicals, the body care, the, the pesticides, like it's just constant. And so the body whether it's a virus, whether it's a bacteria, whether it's, it's a phthalate or a synthetic fragrance, the body will in, respond in a very similar way where immune function is stimulated, inflammation is triggered, and the body does what the body has to do to keep itself alive and the, rid itself of the threats. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the same with autoimmune, autoimmunity, right? You, your body, uh, or you can test for these autoantibodies uh, very early on, even though people aren't maybe showing symptoms, for example, thyroiditis or Hashimoto's or something like that, but you can, you can test for them. And it shows like after, if you just left it alone and you, you went down and you didn't change your, your diet or your lifestyle, you may end up actually getting one of these autoimmune conditions. So I absolutely agree with you. It starts earlier on. You don't just wake up with cancer or, or a plaque in your heart. You know, it's a chronic, chronic, uh, a chronic condition. Another hot topic 
is CBD. Um, and I've done a podcast with Dr. Elizabeth Phillips where we dive into the, the health benefits of it and what it's used for in the UK today and the legality of it. But do you think CBD plays well with other essential oils? Is there a synergy there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I recommend in our several of our capsule remedies because of the effect that CBD has on the CB2 receptors in the endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. Essential oils have a very similar effect. And so copaiba is an essential oil that, that stimulates the endocannabinoid system. And they can have a very similar um, mental health, pain relieving, sleep promoting benefit, similar to CBD. And so the problem with CBD, like essential oils are, there's a lot of fake stuff on the market. And that's really the only way of saying it because no one's monitoring what is being labeled and sold online. I mean, just simply put, even at local dispensaries, anyone can sell anything. So because they're not considered drugs, at least in the United States, and in most countries I'm familiar with, the government agencies are, aren't regulating what's being sold. And that's a concern because some, I mean, see, I do talk about this in the, the book is that, um, what is it? Forgive me the number, like 75 to 80% of um, CBD in the market is mislabeled. And it's a concern that it's not necessarily intentional. It's not as unscrupulous marketers like selling laced things with chemicals. It's, it's mismanaged testing or just saying what people want to say. I mean, if you're looking at CBD and if you're concerned about some sort of psychotrophic effect, like you don't want to get high, well, you want to make sure there's as little if no THC as possible. Well, the, the labels are consistently proving to be incorrect. And so all that to say is just like essential oils, you have to find a company of CBD that you trust. And that takes a little bit of research and vetting. And there are third party, you know, like certifications and things that, that you could get to see if at least a company passes that first initial um, wave of scrutiny. But the reality is they do play well together. CBD can be used as, as a carrier oil, um, an adjunct to, um, it, again, it has essential oils in it. It has the essential oil of cannabis in it. So that's the other thing. It, it's, it's not essential oil, though, I want to clarify. Um, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of a fatty-based oil and the essential oil. I mean, it, it's essentially like a very highly concentrated herbal extract. And that's the thing. It has volatile components. And for those technical people, it has volatile and non-volatile components. Volatile, again, they readily evaporate. And that's how they evaporate through the steam distillation process. Any non-volatile components, meaning those that are too heavy to, you know, two compounds that are too heavy to evaporate, they don't go through the steam distillation process. And so they are not included in the essential oil. Well, that's where extracting CBD with CO2 or some other solvent gets both the volatile and the non-volatile components, which some argue a CO2 essential oil can even be more healing than in, um, a traditional essential oil. So that means the like lavender or chamomile is, um, is, extracted, the, uh, is extracted from CO2 or some other um, solvent, which is interesting because it's a different approach. Now we're looking at a completely different chemical structure. So that, that's a whole nother topic. I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but yeah, again, we, co we cover that in the book, but um, absolutes, extract, CO2, um, steam distilled, cold pressing, um, and fleurouge. Like there are a variety of different methods to get essential oils from um, the plants, but they're all unique in their chemical makeup. And therefore they all have unique therapeutic properties. Fantastic. Um, 
Brilliant. I, I just have uh, one question on CBD, and I don't, like you said, I don't want to dive into the weeds too much. It would be interesting to get your perspective. I know athletes have to use the isolated CBD compound due to you know very very small amounts of THC um, in CBD products. Um, would you recommend people use the the more isolated form or the CBD form with the terpenes and the other natural compounds in it as well? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm not a CBD expert, but um, at least in my in my perspective, a broad spectrum CBD is best. Um, so that would be the one that includes um, really the as whole form as possible, really as whole form as possible to the the hemp plant. So um, it's also a little bit of trial and error. But from what I understand, the research does suggest that the full broad spectrum um, with all the different compounds is the best approach to go. Brilliant. Brilliant. And just before we finish, I ask three questions to everyone that comes on the show. It's been absolutely amazing speaking to you, Eric. I'm not going to lie. But the first question is, what is the most impactful health change that you have made in your life and why? You know, the biggest change was when I became a Christian and my mentor said, Eric, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to take care of it. It's your act of worship. At that moment, I became accountable to a higher power other than me. So I have zero temptation to quote cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to smoke, I used to drink, I used to enjoy um, really sugary, high fatty foods. I have zero temptation to ever do that ever, ever again. It's been 18 and a half, almost 19 years. And wow. part of that is because I do, I feel it's my spiritual act of worship. I feel accountable to God. And I don't do what I do to look good. I don't do what I do to feel good. I don't do what I do because I make money at it. Now I do all those things. I do, I, I, you know, I do feel good and I do like looking good if I do or younger, or I do like making money because that's my profession. But the primary focus is out of me. It's outside. And so if there's one thing I could share with people is find your why. Find your why. And I actually cover this in the obesity chapter of our book. Um, Find your why. Because if your why is to look good, to fit into that bathing suit for the summer, or to get in that dress for your daughter's wedding, or whatever it might be, if your why even is to reverse a disease because you don't want to die, that's short-lived. Because you'll be tempted to cheat. You'll be tempted to look. I'm proposing a complete different way of life. And it's a wonderful journey. And that's really what it was. Once I was convicted that, you know, this is, this is beyond me. I need to be as healthy as possible, not only as an act of worship to my creator, but because people are counting on me to be my best. That put me in a whole nother place of accountability. And so if you could start on that journey, you will be highly motivated to experiment trials and errors and you'll maintain a much more positive attitude through the ups and downs in life as you continue. Fantastic. That sounds incredibly empowering. How can healthcare, and this is the second question, which I should, uh, should preface, how can healthcare and, and become more integrated with the kind of modalities that we've spoken about today? Well, I suggested a few things, for example, finding an integrative oncologist and use the word integrative. So I would really stress that people work with a healthcare professional that is open to and, and the solution really is having 
a basic nutrition class, a basic aromatherapy class, a basic supplement class be required for every medical professional. And sadly, that's not the case. I mean, most medical doctors graduate with zero training in any of these modalities, even nutrition. And that's, that's near criminal, in my opinion, because how can someone give health advice and not focus on the primary things that someone can do at home, like eating differently, exercising. So anyway, I think that's the key is our doctors and our medical professionals just need to be educated and at least introduced at the basic level so they can speak from a place of, of you know, at least from, from an educated place and then offer more ample opportunities and even incentives for these docs and healthcare professionals to get more continuing education because that's really what patients need and want. Perfect. And last but not least, actually, before I ask you the last question, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? Yes, thank you again for having me on the show. It's been wonderful. <laughs> people can find me online like most people do at naturallivingfamily.com. And that website has just a plethora, a myriad of, of recipes and, and solutions to help you just experience a wonderful life. Our upcoming book, The Essential Oils Apothecary, comes out September 7th. 2021 and you can get it anywhere books are sold uh, if you're looking for a nice little gift we have filmed uh, a series of 17 videos to walk you through how to make a lot of the recipes we even talked about today and we give more information because we literally jam-packed the book we have like 50 pages of references alone because all the research that we quote so our, our book publisher says hey we're cutting you off at 400 pages or whatever it is so you go to eo apothecary.com that's eo apothecary.com and get your book or, you know Sign up for our book bonuses, get your book, and join the community. Brilliant. And lastly, can you provide the listeners with three quick tips to help improve their health and well-being from today? I would encourage everyone to go online or go to your natural health food store and buy an ultrasonic water diffuser, just a simple water diffuser, and get started by replacing those aerosols and those toxic chemicals, throw them away, throw them away, and the plugins and the wallflowers and replace with essential oils and just enjoy. Start with something happy like orange or lime or bergamot or something calming at night, um, like sleep, for example, chamomile, lavender, ylang-ylang. We've talked about those again. So start with that. And as you throw away these aerosols and these poo-poo sprays, whatever you have in the toilet, <laughs> make your own. And it's very empowering. You'll save a lot of money. And next time there's a shortage of hand sanitizer or soap, you don't care because you can make your own. And, and that's really the purpose of what we do. And so um, if you're interested in learning more about that, literally go, go to our website, um, pick up our first book, The Healing Power of Essential Oils, has all the recipes that you need to get started. And our next book, The uh, Apothecary, covers that a little bit, but they really dive more deep in the chronic disease and condition aspect. But to leave you with the fact that one by one by one, you could slowly start to either make your own or buy non-toxic versions of them. And I know that was more than three, <laughs> but it's this overarching um, concept of we're going to stop the income, you know, the input of toxins and replace that with an input of healthy life-giving essential oils. Brilliant. Eric, 
it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've definitely learned a hell of a lot and I'm sure the people at home have, have done the same. And I really do hope that we can do this again soon. Awesome. Thank you again for having me. God bless everyone. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for all the editing, and thank you all for your support.